What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Southside Stories. My name is Jess, and I'm your host. The purpose of the podcast is to put a smile on your face and joy in your heart, and I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen. This story will be told in in two episodes. The story is called The Corner. The first episode is Beat Me Home, followed by the second Lessons Learned the Hard Way. I hope you enjoy them. A song played from my car speaker that put me into deep thought. It reminded me of a time I had to make a very serious decision. A decision that would change my entire life. Steveland Hardaway Morris is more than a musical wonder. In his lifetime, he's grown to become invaluable in the world of music, but he's also a universal advocate for peace and love. His song, These Three Words, which is the closest to being my favorite, but it's not the song that launched me into deep thought. It was living for the city. For some unknown reason, while cruising at 65 miles an hour, I began to envision a young boy in search of his own humanity. Humanity meaning brotherly love or brotherhood. And that's what this poor country boy from Hardtime, Mississippi hoped he'd find on the streets of New York City. Much like that poor country boy, I too sought my own humanity, that brotherly love, while hanging on the street corner of Chicago's 73rd and Halsted. That's the corner my father warned me many times to stay off. The rumor wire must have stayed hot too because he seemed to know where I was. Thankfully, he didn't bother to bait me into into a lie, knowing my long history proved that I would. So he just say, stay off that corner. Okay. Maybe dad's own experiences helped him to see what I clearly didn't. Because he could have easily been that boy in Stevie's song. Dad, his brothers and sisters, and his parents were all sharecroppers. My grandparents sold their farm, picked up the kids, and moved from Blytheville, Arkansas to Chicago during what is known as the Black Migration of the 1940s. And maybe he, like me, was attracted to the streets and the corners of Chicago. But was he blinded too? Did he see the dangers that existed there right before his very eyes? It was miles down the road that a smile finally came to my face. It dawned on me that we, Dad and me, were just alike. Poor, naive boys. And Stevie's poor country boy felt at home seeing skyscrapers and everything. Yet the vision of his humanity disappeared 
when he stepped onto the streets of New York City. I got to know a lot of guys on that corner, but Drew Crown was the only guy that I feared, so I did my best to avoid him. It's interesting though, as much as I feared Drew, I feared my dad even more. It stands to reason that that my enormous fear that I had for my dad should have kept me off the corner, demanding that I find somewhere else to play. But it didn't. The comforts of camaraderie formed quickly with my friends. Getting caught by my dad gave me reasons for apprehension and vigilance, but it was his work schedule and their eyes that allowed me to relax. Pitching pennies was the easiest way to make money on the corner and Joe Crown was one of the best. He was also the corner's king of comedy. He'd laugh about your mama being so skinny she could do chin-ups in a needle while he'd laugh even harder picking up his winnings. He just had a way of making the corner fun. <laughs> Everybody laughed. Even when you were angry at him, you'd laugh. He had a way of bringing a smile. And I was his playground too. There were many times when he made me so mad that I refused to laugh and I tried not to laugh. But he said, do something and I couldn't hold it back. I just bust out laughing. <laughs> oh God. Man. And Joe loved to play the dozens. He did it better than most. Playing the dozens is talking about your mama. And for Joe, no one or their mother was safe. When he said, your mom is so skinny she broke a leg when she fell off a dime. <laughs> God, that was the funniest joke. Man. But he just did not care. Nothing. He, didn't, he just didn't care. Nothing. No one was safe with him. Not your looks, your clothes, your family. And if your mother had a limp, he'd make a joke about her limp too. <laughs> but Joe made a lot of enemies. But again, he didn't care. The reason for Joe's fearlessness besides his elusive speed and quickness was his older brother, Drew. So if you were lucky enough to catch Joe, you better not hurt him. Drew was right there. Drew was big, mean, and a bruiser, and I never saw him laugh. This is the guy I tried to avoid. But no one wanted any part of Drew. That gave Joe a pass. Thankfully, Drew didn't hang out on the corner with us. And I apologize for my callous humor, but back then, political correctness was future decades to come. So if you were sensitive or your feelings were easily hurt, it was best you stayed off the corner. Hurt feelings were streams of blood in the water for these sharks. And I became a regular on the corner. And to some older boys, my height and size made me a, a, a target, an easy target for bullying or to build up their reputation. 
It's willingness to fight to gain respect. And winning fights built a reputation. Dad built his reputation without ever throwing a punch. One summer evening, Daddy got into an argument with Drew and his friends. Drew and his boys, his friends, were lounging on our next door neighbor's porch and they were just throwing their ice cream ice cream wrappers into our yard and Daddy saw them. Words were exchanged and things escalated. Drew had a lot to say. They made a lot of noise and threats that day, but Daddy said his piece and he didn't back down. They didn't throw any more trash in our yard, at least not that day, or when daddy could see him. My friends got to know my dad too. One day, daddy surprised me by coming home early. I wasn't home and he came looking and he found me at the park playing baseball. I regretted my decision the moment I left the house. I grieved every error and every argument, not because it affected the score of the game, but because each error and each argument prolonged the time of the game and I wanted to get home. Dad had even Dad had given me strict orders to stay in the house until I get home. I was living, I was living dangerously. And I didn't like it. But I did feel a real bond with my friends that day. They needed me to play left field. Baseball without even teams wasn't real baseball, and we loved baseball. So I allowed them to convince me to put my life on the line for them and play the game. (laughs) Oh man, I saw a Denzel Washington movie once He came through a sun-blasting sunset. Denzel's slow, deliberate walk, you know, the Denzel walk, created a very imposing silhouette. Although his face was barely visible, his expressions revealed the annihilation of his enemies. And that's what I saw seeing my dad enter the park from my position in the left field. I was done. And everybody knew it. But I knew they felt my pain. The game stopped. I swallowed some air to get some nerve. And then I ran across the field and meet him. His words were the only ones spoken and his voice resonated for everybody to hear. He said, beat me home, and I was gone. A week later, just off punishment, Joe Crown had everybody laughing at how quickly I flew past a jet to get home. (laughs) Joe really enjoyed that joke because months later, he'd remind me of that that day 
but he never made fun of my dad, just how fast I ran home. Well, that's all I got, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode because I enjoy sharing it with you. And so, until the next time, I wish you peace and love. Please be safe. Later. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Southside Stories. My name is Jess. I'm your host, and the purpose of the podcast is to put a smile on your face Enjoy in your heart, and I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen. Learning things the hard way. It was the laughter and the brotherhood that I felt that kept me hanging on the corner. I know now what my dad knew then, that those city street corners were filled with predators. And if you made a mistake, know that eyes were always watching with hopes that they might benefit from your mistake. I had come to know these guys for maybe a year or so, and they became my oldest friends. I believe that we shared our humanity. And maybe at one time we did, but those days had passed. My friends no longer desired to hustle on the baseball field. They were more interested in hustling for a few dollars or a joint. And I knew that some of my friends were hustling, selling reefer or weed as we call it today. It didn't bother me. As a matter of fact, I really liked it. Mistakes were made on the corner every day and I made mine. I was popular with my baseball friends because they could count on me to catch a fly ball. But the older guys... I was a chump, making my value to them usable. And when the time came, I was. But I never thought about whether or not I belonged there. I just wanted to be there. In sales, I learned the difference between price and cost. Price being a one-time thing while cost could last a lifetime. Well, that was even true on the corner. Being laughed at, would be a small price to pay for making a mistake. But repeating that same mistake could possibly cost you prison time or even your life if the wrong eyes saw it. But dad would help me with that. My parents were really good people, good God-fearing people. They were also upward mobile people, always moving us toward better living conditions and eventually home ownership, which they achieved. But that too came with a price. Our family was uprooted a lot, moving us from place to place and my sister and I, school to school. My mom caught the brunt end of me. I knew she wasn't as heavy-handed as Dad, which is why I had such fear of him. She'd whoop me, but she had no problem saying, Okay, wait till your dad comes home. I love my mother. She was home with us the most, and Dad had those weird working hours. She got us out and about, helping us to learn social skills. 
and my sister grasped the concept quickly and easily. Being a great student, she was also adored by her teachers. Me, not so much. It seems all I ever heard was, why are you so hard-headed? <laughs> my reply was always, I don't know. And honestly, I didn't. But my parents knew I was stubborn and hard-headed. I'm sure they had their own discussion about from whom I got that mindset from. Dad really didn't care. He had his belt ready to remedy my stubborn and hard-headedness. Mom talked to my kindergarten teacher and discovered that I was failing. My teacher told her that I was not getting along well with the other kids. She said that I demonstrated poor social skills, telling mom he only likes to play his way. My teacher was shocked to learn that Pat and I were brother and sister. Decades later, mom and I laughed when she reminded me of how stubborn I was. She said, you stopped your baseball game. You came running home with the ball and your glove. Some kids showed up at the door asking for the ball. (laughs) Oh, me. She said that she was confident that I would figure it out, reminding me that I always had to learn things the hard way. And that's what I did. I figured things out the hard way. But it was simple to me. I met these guys playing baseball and we renewed those friendships on the corner. But my simple understanding about friendship set things in place for a perfect storm. See, when I first started hanging out on the corner, my body was changing. I wanted to know what was going on with me. Barely a teenager. One phenomenon about my body that really piqued my curiosity was my penis erections. For no reason, my thing would just stand at attention without any known flag to salute. It would just salute. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't have the kind of relationship with my dad that I could openly talk about stuff like that. I thought that this was something easy to learn from my friends. Plus, I was afraid daddy would get mad at me if I asked. So surely it was okay for me to ask my friend Les, who was older, for his honest opinion about this very personal and private matter. How could I be so stupid, so foolish to believe how he would know the answer to such a weird biological question. On a warm, beautiful, yet ominous afternoon, he and I were the only ones on the corner, making it an ideal time for a perfect storm. So, unintentionally, I put all my social clumsiness 
on display when I straight out asked, Hey, Les, what makes your thing hard? Dazed, dazed by the question, he focused, he focused his eyes on me and he asked, What? Really, with all sincerity, I gave him my best effort to look and sound serious while simultaneously clutched and shook my crotch to reemphasize what I was talking about. I respectfully asked, you know, what makes my thing hard? <laughs> Slowly his eyes got big, grateful, grapefruit size big. Was this what he longed for? We had our differences in the past, and I, when I first started hanging out, he tried unsuccessfully to bully me, but we became friends instead, or at least that's what I thought. But I made a big mistake. I verbally dropped my guard and allowed him to hit me where he wanted and as hard as he wanted, and he demonstrated the action as many times as he wanted. He was delighted to hear my dumb question. I don't think that he ever gave it any real thought, although he understood exactly what I meant. Suddenly he began laughing ridiculously loud, running around covering his mouth and pointing at me. He attracted the attention of every passerby, people on every corner looking with curiosity. There were people leaning out of their apartments windows trying to figure out what was all the commotion about. It couldn't possibly be that funny, I thought. But he continued to laugh and point at me. He paraphrased my words, shouting many times so everyone could hear, he don't know why his thing gets hard. People began to talk, and I felt so stupid, I, but I just couldn't stop it. At first, I tried to explain what I meant, but soon realized I was, I wasn't, I was only making things worse. There was no explanation. While some, while some folks smiled and giggled, others passed me and shook their heads with pity. Their expressions told me exactly what they were thinking. You poor thing. But I couldn't leave. Leaving would only make things worse on the corner. And I felt so foolish. Truly, a lesson learned the hard way. But not even total embarrassment stopped me from seeking my humanity on the corner. Later that day and that week... Joe Crown would team up with Les and the other guys, and they all had a real good time at my expense. But don't think I was happy about it either. I wasn't. I wasn't laughing. I realized that Les and I did not share the same humanity, but eventually I had to laugh. After hearing how Joe sees that situation through his eyes, I saw how foolish 
I really was. I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> Again, it never occurred to me that I wasn't cut out for the corner, nor had my father's forebodings ever crossed my mind, but they should have. One Saturday afternoon after I finished my chores and I was about to head out, my sister pulled me aside and repeated in her own motherly voice what my mother had just told me. You heard her say that daddy gets home early today, right? You better stay out that corner and be home before the streetlight comes on. I said, okay, and headed for the corner. When I got there, there were a lot of guys that I knew. Some I had seen before. And Joe Crown was talking smack and hustling. This time, pitching, pitching nickels. After I greeted everybody, a guy came over to me and asked me to do him a favor. In his hand was a little brown packed envelope. He asked me to hold it for him. Without even questioning, I said, okay and put it in my pocket, believing I was helping him to play a joke on somebody. Not long after putting the bag in my pocket, two police officers popped out of their squad cars and yelled at us, put your hands against the wall. Man, I was terrified. What if my daddy sees this? He'd kill me. I wasn't thinking about the police. While some guys voiced their disapprovals, all I cared about was being seen by my father. It would be the end of me. And as they started their search, I was immediately tossed aside. They never even bothered to waste their time checking my pockets, quickly moving on to the next guy. Not finding anything, they drove away. The guy who gave me the bag came over and asked me for it. I had forgotten I put it in my pocket and immediately went and got it and gave it to him. Man, that created a huge uproar. Shouts of disappointment, disapprovals, and personal judgments were hurled at the both of us. Someone asked me, how could you be so stupid? Breathing easily, I really didn't care. In my mind, nothing really happened and my father didn't catch me with my hands up against the wall. The Bible says, God protects babies and fools. God had me. A few, a few days later, I was again comfortably hanging on the corner, laying all over the mailbox, laughing and having a good time. My attention switched to Job who was laughing about something. So when I turned back, I was shocked at who I saw. He appeared in the blink of an eye. Out of nowhere, there he was looking at me, dead in my face. His car was perfectly parked on the curb right in front of me. From his driver's seat, he leaned toward me and I toward him, ensuring that I clearly understood what he had to say. He said with purpose, beat me home. Now this is how I heard Joe tell it. Before the last words rolled out of Bosey's dad's mouth, Flash was slow compared to Bosey. 
Bozy was home before his dad put his car in gear. Uh, I'm sure Joe Crown had fun telling that story a few times. At home, dad was different this time. He spoke of his disappointment with me. He didn't yell. He calmly spoke his piece, saying, Bozy, I stopped whooping you when you were 12, believing you were no longer a child but a young man. I hope you hear me. You better find some new friends, because I promise you, if I see you on that street corner again, I'm going to beat you like I was fighting a grown man. Do you understand me? Do you believe me? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) You better find some new friends. And 60 60 years later, I am blessed that we are still friends, sharing our brotherhood. These guys were very much like me, searching for their own humanity. Aho, Neville, George, Dylan, and later Eli. Can you hear living for the city? Question, what is your favorite Stevie Wonder song? Well, that's all I got, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as I enjoy sharing it with you. So until the next time, I wish you peace and love. Please be safe. May God continue to bless you. Rest in peace, Joe and Drew Crown. Peace.